I wanted to mention something which uh, I was uh, um, I went to a shiva this, this week whatever somebody was uh, talking there about uh, you know about uh, the gedolim of the previous generations and so on and the gedolim even of the previous uh, uh, the Amaroim and the Tanoim and so on you know <clears throat> and uh, he was saying things you know that uh, you know they're, they're like uh, pillars of fire and so on and so forth but I had a thought because I think a lot of people make a tremendous mistake and uh, I felt that this person also had a main mistake you know because in the end, when you, when you compare yourself to the previous generations, whatever they are, you know, uh, then uh, we, we wind up being absolutely insignificant. That's what you get the feeling. Like monkeys. Not even monkeys, like lice. I mean, like, you know. Uh, so whenever you... And, and, and uh, well, a lot of the biographies do a tremendous disservice because as far as I'm concerned, they take away the humanity from the tzaddik or whoever they're talking about. Because in, in the end, they were real people. Real people, real temptations. They fell. Even people in the Gemara, you see them, they fell. Was this all discussion a while back? Was that? This all discussion, so you didn't talk about No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm aiming for a certain concept. Um, so any case, so anyway, so th there's a lot of, I feel, dishonesty in the treatment of many gedolim and so on and so forth. Like I said, because, you know, when, when you make them out to be like they were born, like Moshe Rabbeinu, he's already the Shekhinah filled the basket, which we'll get in this week, next week, and so on, you know. Then you look at yourself and say, hey, what's the point? You know, I can never be this. This isn't even human, and so on. So I, I feel that's a tremendous, um, that leads to yush resignation, and abandonment, <clears throat> you know, because a person says, what's the point? You can't be this, and if this is what is desired, <clears throat> it's over with. I feel that's a, a tremendous dishonesty uh, in terms of what the MS is. And that's what I wanted to just comment on a couple of ideas, which I, third, I felt was worthwhile. People make a tremendous mistake in terms of the stature of a person. And that doesn't make any difference who it is. There's three ideas, at least three ideas or categories that you could distinguish in people. The first is how much they know, the intellectual ability, the ideas, you know. And there's no question, I mean, even today, even the last generation, you know, Ramon Feinstein, he was a satyra. I mean, it was, just, it was awesome what he knew, you know. And many other gedolim, the same awesome, you know, in terms of what they knew, the Yashiv, uh, you know, uh, from the previous generation and so on, you know. Uh, and then you go back further from that, the, you have Goyim, you know, Rogachova, you have the Vilna Goyim. There's no question that as you go back and so on, there were people that had astounding uh, mastery of incredible amount of Torah. It's hard to believe where they got the time to acquire all this. You know, I mean, you know, they were married, they had kids, you know, they, and so on. You know, where they get the time for all this and so on. You know, but without going into the shaita dishmaya that they have, uh, there's no question that they were tremendously superior in many ways to what's going on today. And when you go back further, the rishonim, right? The achronim, the rishonim. You know, the Rambam, Rashi, Teisus, and so on. Forget about it, you know. 
there were obviously masses of uh, the whole uh, the whole Kalatera Kula, masses of Shas. And you go back before that, the Goinim, the Rabonim Svaroim, and you go to the Amaroim, Rovan Abaye. You can't even, it's hard, to, it's hard to imagine what they were. I mean, I think Rovan died, he was 33 years old. He's in his 30s. Abaye lived a little longer because he's the Gemara he did Chesed. But do you know that there's not one, that if you go to Shas, the three pages never passes without Rovan's name being mentioned? Are you aware of that? Astounding. What he knew. And he's only, what is he, in his 30s. Like, what is that? It's incredible. You know, this is not even, it's, this is not natural for a person to have acquired that kind of ideas. You know, even in our time, you know, the Ari, you know, he died, he was 38. He was an incredible master of Kabbalah and so on. And the Ramchal died at the 40, what he knew, and so on, you know. But when you go back to Tatanoim Amaroim, <coughs> And I'm not, then you go back further to that, you know, you go back to the, the Zugas, the pears, and the Nevi'im. What do we got to say? Right? It's almost like you feel you might as well pack up and go home and try something else out. Maybe you'll be successful there. Yeah, that's what, pe- that's what crosses people's minds when you hear about this. Uh, and because you see the incredible intellectual superiority of, the, of these people, what they knew and how much they mastered and the Baal Halacha. I mean, there's a, there's a person that stay Hamid, Chizkiyo de Medini. Uh, he wrote the stay Hamid. That's like, what is that, 10, 12, 15 volumes? By himself. He wrote an entire encyclopedia by himself. And who can do that? And he only he died, the bodies done, maybe 100 years ago, something like that. And so on. So there's clearly an incredible intellectual distinction between us and them. So that's the first idea. Second idea is Kedusha, holiness. They are much holier than we are. They have tremendous Kedusha uh, and so on. In fact, even the Gemara wonders, you know, we are much less in Kedusha than they. So the Gemara asks why. So the Gemara comes out that they were unbelievably Moise Nefesh for Torah. And therefore, the Kedusha level. Remember, I'm not talking about the Yediyah level, the knowledge that they had. I'm talking about their holiness, that they were com- incredibly committed to the Avodah and to the Rabbanish level. So therefore, they were incredibly holy people. What are you defining as Kedusha? Yeah, I was, uh, I know. It's not, Kedusha is a very, very difficult <coughs> word to describe. Very, you know. Um... But I imagine if I had to look at the word Kedusha, what it means is to be apart or be separate from. Kedushin Tiyu means you will be separate from, you will be apart from materialism and Gashmis and so on. You know, and what that does, when a person separates himself from Gashmis uh, for, the, for the sake of being more spiritual, then there's something about him that becomes spiritual. You know, uh, you know, whatever it is, um, there's something about him that becomes ruchnius. You know, it's, and it's very hard to distinguish, and so on. Um, I, I consider myself very unfortunate that I, I was able to see some of this. <coughs> uh, I remember I once, uh, you know, once many, many years ago, uh, the Biana Rebbe, Mordechai Shlomo Freeman, and so on. I remember I was once in his, uh, he was lighting Hanukkah lights, you know. And it was in his room upstairs in his house. 
And it was, it was packed, you know. And I, so, and I was able to slip in into that room, you know. I remember I looked, I, I walked around and said, what in the world am I feeling? I could sense and feel an incredible Kedusha, you know. I, it's, it, I cannot describe that feeling, you know. But if I could package it and sell it, be unbelievable, you know. But there was a distinct feeling of enormous kedusha that was coming out of that man, you know. So what was it? I only have to say that because of his incredible avodah and so on, he there was something about him that probably pervaded him that had a spiritual nature, you know. What I call it, the shechina or the rabbanu maybe. But there was clearly something about him that emanated tremendous amount of kedusha. And you could feel it. I mean, I don't know what the other people were feeling, but, you know, I felt it. So I have to say that. So that's so maybe you could look at Kedusha, where if you are tremendously evade, then you become spiritual. And spirituality is not merely that you avoid materialism, gashmias, and pleasures and temptations. There's something about a person that changes... And he, there's something, I would say, it's like the person is invaded, use an expression like that, with some type of a divine presence. I would describe it. <coughs> I remember the last time I saw Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, who I learned in Yeshiva many years ago, and I remember the last time, and he was an older person, you know, um, this was 1979, he was lived in 1986, so he must have been like 85. You know, and I remember. So I, 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 there was a reason why I had to be there with some other people. Anyway, so I remember I looked at him, and like his face shone. You know, and he didn't put any any cosmetics on. You know, there was some type of a brightness coming out of his face, and I and I noticed it. I said, like, wow, what is that? You know, I don't I, I don't know if he was aware of it, but there was an incredible shine, brightness. That, that just came out of his face, out of his eyes, whatever. So that's the concept of Kedusha. So therefore Jews different Kedusha. So that's a second dimension, if I may say, right? So the first dimension is what? Is Yediyah, knowledge. And the further back you go, their knowledge, their knowledge capacity and their knowledge base was awesome. And we are way wrong Forget about it. You can't even touch that kind of thing anymore, right? The second thing is their kedusha. There was no kid. Their kedusha level was awesome. I mentioned that in the summer I went to the Masha. Right? I went to Ukraine in the summer, and uh, to see when we went to a whole bunch of different tzaddikim. You know, uh, the bells and the then what do you call it? Uh, uh, many many tzaddikim were buried. In, in, in the um, in the Ukraine and Poland, you know, Ramal and, and Tzitzishanta, <coughs> a whole bunch of uh, the Sansa Rebbe and so on, you know. But I, I think I mentioned, I, I, when I went into the cover of the Mashok, uh, he's buried in, um, I forgot the name of the city, but... Um, no, he's not, he's in, he's in Ukraine. Um, I, I don't call the name. I, I, I anyway... I, met, I went into that keva. It was a house, like a little you know, house, and his keva was there. 
And uh, I, I remember it was the, I, I was overwhelmed by the Kiddusha coming out of that Kedra, which is incredible. I don't think I've ever felt that type of Kiddusha <coughs> emanating from a Kedra. Then I remember I turned around and it said, it said there, the Baal Shem said, that if the people, if people would realize, Baal Shem said this, the Kiddusha Sanj of the Masha, that's who it was, they would bend down and kiss the dirt of his Kedra. He's right. It was just an awesome. Now, what was that? You know, I mean, my show is not even alive. There's an incredible aspect of the Shechina, probably, that is connected to this person, to Shama, which is awesome. I just have to tell you, it was an awesome experience. Anyway, so what I want to bring out is that the second Havchano, or difference between people, or rather the earlier generations and this generation. So then we think about that, we're finished. You know, we neither have the knowledge that they had, we certainly don't have the kedusha that they had, because we don't have the avoided that they have. You know, there were tremendous them. We hear stories about that, you know, they'd learn all night to make sure they didn't fall asleep. They put their foot into a pail of ice water. But who does that today? You, you know what I'm saying? It's unheard of. Their dedication, their devotion toward mitzvahs, toward the Bansham, is, is, is incredible today. Nobody does, we don't, nobody does that. When's the last time you put your foot into a bucket of ice to make sure that you, you wouldn't stop learning? And it's 3 a.m., by the way. We're not talking about during the day. You know? It's 3 a.m. You know? Nobody does that. And so on. So the question is, what about us? Are we the stragglers? Well, the first one was Yadis, knowledge. Second thing was Kedusha. So I'm not the third one. So anyway, so this person was saying the previous generations, but I, I didn't interrupt him, but I want to tell him, you don't know what you're talking about. Because there's a third dimension. What is that? That's the question, you know. It's not, of course, we cannot aspire to be that. But by the way, there is something that we are doing that it seems is greater than them. What? Who? No, no. And you see that. There's certain remarks that Sadiqim... What? We're staying afloat, even in this generation. We're staying afloat. That's true. Yes, you're, you're, you're halfway there. But you're missing the main concept, although you're halfway there. So the question is, what about us? And the answer is, because there's a third category that in certain ways can make you greater than them. And, and the, there's a very uh, one of the big rebbes from Yisroel Merijan, the Rijan Rebbe, you know, Yisroel Merijan and so on. He once said, uh, I, I don't know if I ever said this before, but he once said two remarkable statements. Okay. <clears throat> one was, is that in the door before the Mashiach, the Nisoyan, the test that we will have, will either be, I'm not sure if he said, as great or greater than Yakedas Yitzchok. Wow. I mean, Yakedas Yitzchok, we've been taking that for 2000, for 4,000 years, we've been eating from that schos, so to speak. Uh, so he said that, that it would be, I think, greater or, as great or greater than Yakedas Yitzchok. Do you have any idea what that is? That means we who live in this generation are now involved in an assignment that is great as great as Yitzchok, as Avram and Yitzchok. You see. So the question is, what does he mean? 
So he made a second statement, which is in many ways <coughs> a, a, a clarification of the first. What type of an Isoyen was the Akedah really? Okay. So he said the Isoyen of the end of time, which is what we are in now, clearly, right? Is this type of Isoyen. Imagine, remember Eliyahu on top of uh, the uh, Harakarmel, and he had thousands, hundreds of thousands <coughs> that worshipped Baal, right? And finally Eliyahu said, okay, let's, let's, let's bury a hatchet, right? Here's the contest. You and I will go up the mountain, we will make two, two different Mizbeachs, right? And the one who God answers with a lightning bolt out of a clear sky, he's obviously the right one, and so on. So he went up. And he said to the worshippers of Baal, hundreds of Munami Jews were at Harakama, where it was. Me, hundreds, thousands of Jews there, you know, and they, and they were all Baal worshippers, and so on. And so he said to, Elio said to them, okay, you go first, right? And they're screaming, cutting themselves, the unit, to try to attract Baal, right? And of course they failed. They even tried to light a fire underneath. <coughs> and there was back, but the Baal had a snake under there, and he just killed him. That was it, you know. But, uh, so then Elio said, okay, your chance. And by Mincha, it was Elio's turn. Because they failed the whole day, they're screaming, nothing. And of course, Elio was misfiled by Mincha, and he said, Lonshon, please, you know, and so forth. And all of a sudden, a lightning bolt out of a clear sky. We're not talking about clouds. Yeah, whatever, I'm not going into the whole pride, but you know. A whole lightning bolt comes out of the sky, you know, sh- they, uh, uh, consumes the entire sacrifice and the mezbech. I mean, it was just astounding. It's just an open miracle, you know. But what happens if you were there? And all of a sudden you see this Elio Anakar Carmel, right? <coughs> Elio Anavi. I mean, he's uh, among the greatest of the Nevi'im, you know. Anavi, right? And the other side is Baal. And all of a sudden a lightning bolt comes out on the Mizbech of Baal. Right? Not on the Mizbech of Elio. A lightning bolt comes out of a clear side, right on Baal's Mizbech, consumes that. What would you have thought? It's a problem. It's a problem. It's a real problem. <laughs> you know? It, it would have destroyed your Amuna. I, I don't know if it destroyed your Amuna, but like you would have said, what? What is this? You know, this sounds like... Uh, <laughs> yeah, today we'd say it's a misguided missile. <laughs> it's very good, <laughs> you know. But in those days, they didn't have any missiles. It wasn't misguided. The Russian was masking with Paul. It was. It's like God rejected His own test of that He's the Judaism is the correct religion, and He agreed that Baal is the correct version of reality. And imagine a million Jews sitting there and saying, "We don't believe what happened." What? Oh, wait, wait. So, the, the wait? Oh, it's happening. So, the Rishna says, he explains, what do you mean the Akedis Yitzchak? What, what kind of sign is that? We don't have that today. Nobody's offering up their kids to Molech, or whatever they're Molech, right? So, he said, because today, it's the identical sign or test as the lightning hitting the Akedis <coughs> of Baal. What is that? So, to us, that would be what? What would be our conclusion? One, is that, uh, in other words, this is a completely irrational event based on our belief. In other words, it's an event that cannot happen. Yes? 
If Judaism is true, this cannot happen. So this would be an unbelievable, irrational event that we would struggle to figure out what in the world is going on. The Akedah was that. It was a completely irrational event. The Bosham said to Avram, I mean, there are many insurance, right? You know, with Yitzchak will be your descendants. And then Jerusalem says, okay, kill him. So we know dead people, right, cannot descend, cannot carry on any kind of um, tradition and so on. It's irrational. It's impossible. That was the Akedah. The Akedah was a, a, an impossible, Ill, completely irrational Nisoyim. That Avram Avinu looked at and said, this cannot be. Yet Avram Avinu said, Afa Pikain, and he did it. That's the greatness of Avram Avinu. Why was that the last test? Why? Because that test is the test of the Jews in the end of time. The test of the Jews in the end of time is we live in a time that is absolutely <coughs> irrational. Not that it's unknown. It makes no sense. Because we look around and God supports every evil, immorality, unethical, and so on. Every, every, every terrible kind of evil, he looks like he supports. Which is astounding, you know. Therefore, we live in a time of absolute irrationality. What's our struggle? Our struggle is to still be from. It's, it's still put on film with this kind of a perspective. You know? And Echanami, and millions of Jews have left the fold. And a lot of it is because, hey, we don't see you succeeding, we see everybody else succeeding. You know what I'm saying? You know? I, I read somewhere that they, they, just, they just came out with a movie. You know? They came out with a movie. It's called Star Wars. And somebody told me, just last week, and somebody told me that it's only been around for five days. Do you know what money they made? Three hundred million dollars in four or five days. This isn't rational. What is this? How could something which is so far <coughs> from Judaism have made so much money in four days? It's like the Sutton laughs at us. He says, ha ha, you think you guys are going to get anywhere? I'll show you what getting anywhere is. So he's Messiah, Tumor, in an, a way where we can't even believe. And, that, that's, and that's nothing. What about everything else that goes on? Uh, the evil of the UN and so on. The evil of so many things. We look and say, and then the Holocaust. I mean, you, we, say, we don't know. I, I don't see what's going on. It's completely irrational. It's almost like you've sided, you've decided to switch religions. That's what it sounds like to Muslim. You're now on the side of Tumor, evil, etc., so it sounds like. But we have to live in that generation and we have to withstand the tremendous assault on our Amuna and go to shul the next day and put on film or whatever, right? Be showing the Shabbos and so on. You know, forget about Lakewood where you have to sit in the turret you know, 10, 12 hours a day. You know, I mean, you're giving up your whole life. You know what I'm saying? What does that mean? So, we don't beat them in Yadiyah yeah, you know, uh, million miles ahead of us in knowing the mastery of Torah. We don't beat them in Kedusha, you know, uh, much holier than us. <coughs> but I'll tell you one thing, we can give them a run for the money. In what? In Mesir Snefesh. Our ability to cling to Torah is awesome. 
It's awesome. In that, I think we beat them. Because they never had a generation like this. And I want to tell you something. And this is important to know. So you're going to say to me, hey, okay. So we beat them in Messias Nefesh. My opinion. And it is. Based on what the original said, you know, hey, it's like the Akedis Yitzchak. The greatest Nisan of Avram was the Akedis Yitzchak. It's nothing that beat it. So that's what we're in. Because the whole Nisan is irrational. Then obviously, if we're equal to Avram, or maybe greater, or whatever, then uh, we beat everybody. No, because Torah was never assaulted the way evil never progressed. There was tremendous hatzlocha among Gedolim. You had yeshivas, you had a lot of stuff going on. And most people were basically from. When did this business where everybody left start? It started where only 200 years with the reform, the conservative, reconstructionist, the Holocaust. That's when the real decline in the religion itself. That's the real decline. Think about that. Most of Christ's world was from, you know? How many guys would jump off a boat and go and allow themselves to be killed? The pogroms, the people, Jews were dying left and right. And they gave up their life. Who's giving up their life today? You know what I'm saying? And so on. So, therefore, the Nisoyen of this generation, I thought, believe, based on what Rabbi Yisrael Merijan said, is far superior than whatever happened before, you see. So, you could ask me, okay, so what? We still don't have the Kedusha. And we don't have the idea. Okay, so we can walk over to the Rabbanushim and say, you know, we don't have any of this. We can just show you our struggle. You know, we can just show you what we try to avoid. It's like a negative avoider, you know. It's like a guy is in the, in the ocean, Right? And he's got a boat in the middle of the Atlantic, right? He has only one job, stay afloat. You know, he's not interested in money, getting ahead, right? Getting ahead in society, you know what I'm saying? Or sitting and reading books. He's not into that anymore. He just has to make sure that this man will eat every day. And he won't plunge into the ocean. That's really our avoider. Our avoider, in many ways, we're lucky if we do anything. Dafyoyimi is like, or, or any, uh, any, any learning, we're lucky if we know anything today. You know, because our avoider isn't focused on positive, it's focused primarily on negative. Stay afloat. That's it. That's the ika avoider of today. Don't drown. You know, so as they can show Kedusha and, 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 and turn all that, we can just show the bunch of them, hey, we're still afloat, we didn't drown. You know, but we're empty. What do we really know? What Kedusha do we have? What do we really know? So we have a, and it's, it's, we, the avoider that we have is an absolute negative that we haven't drowned. What's that worth? That is the question. What I'm trying to do is distinguish the type of avoider that we have. So what's that worth? I will tell you. Okay? Because the, the major component of the schar of Yiddishkeit, Judaism, is the from Tsaro Agro. That's what it is. You know. It's like the Vilna Goyen used to say, you know. They don't count Dabim, how many blood you learned. They count hours. How many hours did you learn? That's the Messiah's Nefesh. That in the end is what the Rabbanishim wants. He wants to say to you, okay, what did you give up for me? 
Forget about what you acquired, but what did it take to achieve this? <clears throat> and in the end, that's the greatest avoid of all. And therefore, in Oilam Habo, what's the what's the what's the bottom line in Oilam Habo? No, no, no. In Oilam Habo, what is the bottom line really? The bottom line is reward, isn't it? It's the schar. Everything else is irrelevant in Oilam Habo. Whatever the form that schar takes. <clears throat> right? So in the end you have to ask yourself, what schar do they have and what do we have? I think we have a lot of schar. In certain ways, I think we have more schar than them. Why? Because our mysterious nefesh is, is, is incredible. Just to remain from is beyond belief. And like the Rabbi Yisrael originally said, <coughs> it's the avoida of the, uh, the Akeda. That's We are in the avoida. Our environment is complete rationality. Where everything basically succeeds, and we don't. See, you know. Doesn't Ramchal say in the in Mesut Sharon that a bunch of desires their their tirchal, their struggle that you have, more than anything else? Not if you succeed. How how much do you struggle to try to succeed? That's what I'm saying. That's isn't that what I'm saying? Once you I'm, I'm just oh, you're yeah, okay. Good. Okay, great. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. And I. Uh, <coughs> therefore, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I may be wrong, but I think this generation and the previous one, I mean, it was from the Holocaust and on, we have lived in a climate of absolute irrationality. We, we see the Hatzlocha, right, of incredible evil. I mean, and even mild evil, whatever it is. I mean, America is a bankrupt country. It's immoral. I mean, you know, homosexuality. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's astounding what goes on in America. Forget about the rest of the world, you know, uh, the Zima and everything else that goes on <coughs> in the, rest of the world. Uh, so, therefore, <coughs> uh, and the Jews are always the persecuted uh, entity. I mean, everybody's after the Jews. We know that. The whole world is after the Jews, basically, and so on. And it's obviously, I mean, just look at the, the uh, contradictions. It's incredible what they do, the double standards and so on. Uh, so therefore, the climate that we live in now is not really, although there are individuals that do do it, is not really to be master of the Torah. 98% of the people, what are they master of? When you think about it, you know? And it's not to be kedoshe. Yeah, there's always a couple of people that make it. The Bansham says, okay, I'll let you do what they used to do a thousand years ago. 99% of Jews are into struggle to stay from, to do a mitzvah. That's their struggle. It's the easiest time, though. Especially with art scroll and yeshivas and, and everything at your fingertips. Yeah, because if it wasn't for them, if it wasn't for that, we, would be, we wouldn't be anywhere. We wouldn't even have Turah. But the Moshim is not going to abandon us and say, well, I'm going to clearly remove the Torah from you. He wouldn't do that. So he's given us incredible, he's given us lights. You know, in the old days, he had had candles, right? He had to smell that wax, right? We have lights, we have air conditioning in the summer. You know, today you think, wow, yet why is it that 99, 93% of Jews are gone? With the lights and the air conditioning. You ever notice? And with the art scroll and all the misiftashas and all the aids, as they say, to learn. <clears throat> right? <clears throat> because what overwhelms us, even if we had all this, 
What's killing us is the incredible climate out there. There's an unbelievable ekov. In, uh, uh, there's, there's an obstacle to becoming an incredible uh, tzaddik, kodosh, goin. There are unbelievable obstacles. I don't care how easy they made it. So thank, thank God, Russian, that he didn't remove that. You know, imagine if you didn't have any of these. Forget about it, everybody would leave. But at least we have to have some type of Torah that keeps us anchored. Without the Torah, we're not anchored. So the, what the Bershom did, on one side he made the Torah easier in a certain sense. Okay, certain sense. There's a lot to comment on that. But on the other side, he made it incredibly difficult. And so on. In terms of what Jews have to face on a daily basis. Therefore, in the end, what counts? And the answer is, the reward in Olam Haba. That's it. That's the bottom line. And therefore, the reward in Olam Haba for everybody living today who's from, it must be off the charts. And I wouldn't be surprised, I wouldn't be surprised if there are people that are greater than the Tanon. In fact, what is interesting is that the, the, the Rabbi Chaim Vital once asked the Ari, he said, how come I know this kind of Kabbalah and the earlier generations didn't? Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not them. You know, and so on. You know, he told me, who you told me, the Balitosis, the Rambam, the, you know, and the, and the Golem and so on. You don't find that they had this knowledge of the Kabbalah that the, the Ari had. So Rabbi Chaim Veloshin, Rabbi Chaim Vital, I think he brings this down on the Shifri Ari. Uh, he asked him, why, why am I getting this stuff? So the, I th- if I remember correctly, I reset him. Because you don't realize something. Because what the Barsham is doing is taking the, the Nishamas from the previous door, the great Nishamas, and putting them here. You don't even know who you are. He said, in many ways, you're greater than the Tanoim. But you don't know. You think, I don't know, Chaim Vital. You're a big deal. But you, it's, not, it's not your name. It's who your Nishama is. <clears throat> you know? I mean, you're all sitting around this table. You have no idea who you are. It sounds like, you know, you, you know, name, you, can, you, well, you look at your name, you look at your, you know, where you're born, and you're... Yeah, but who, you don't know who the Shom is. It could be you're the Shom is Tanoim. Right? That would be interesting. Imagine if you... <laughs> imagine you find that, I didn't know you, you Rabbi Huda Bailori. What? But anyway, wait, wait. But anyway... The, the key point I said, which I feel, I feel is, is, is wrong to do, not that it's wrong to Meshaber, uh, no, of course. But you can't leave this generation bereft of anything. And there's tremendous yush. You know, you know guys said, what, 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 I, can't, I can't do this anyway. Uh, I hold it's wrong. Uh, what has to be focused on is the incredible greatness of this generation. <coughs> uh, because of the incredible Messiah Snefesh, self-sacrifice, in a generation where the climate is absolutely irrational, which is the climate of the Akedah. Of the Akedah. <clears throat> Therefore, don't be surprised, you know, when you're in Yenavelt and they show you, you know, a universe filled with gold. And you say, you must be mistaken. You, must, you, 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 you got the wrong files. It seems so to say that it's reward only. It's like, it's like Muslims who say 72 virgins. It's, it's the same thing. We're just caring about reward. And that's what you, you are not, no, 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 no. That's the end result? You make a mistake. What do we care about gold? You, you, no, no, you're, you're, you're in error. <coughs> I don't care what the reward is. Right? I, I'm giving gold as an example. 
You're focusing on an example. You're missing the real concept. The concept is that the bottom line of everything is whatever the schar in Eidem is. Because that's the measure of what you did. Whether that schar be dvekus, I'm not going to that. You're you're looking at an example. Whatever the schar is, the greater the individual, the greater the schar. The schar is the measure of what that person is. There's, that's it, whatever it is. And therefore, our avoider is Messias Nefesh. In, in, in a time and a climate that there's complete irrationality. And that has to be understood and focused. And I feel it's not done enough. You know, everybody's pointing out the previous Gedolim or what they were, which is true. But that leaves people in an incredible state of Yish. I hope it's a tremendous disservice that they are bringing, doing, doing to people. And of course, if that person, if some tzaddik, and, you know, they wrote a biography on, made did some mistake, God forbid. They erase it from the book. It's censored. Because you chas v'shom. You mean, you mean the Chofetz Chaim actually had the sienes? I don't believe that. He was a malach. He was born a malach, lived a malach, died a malach. Really? You mean he escaped the whole concept of Nisoyim? Of course he didn't escape it. You see? But it's deleted and it's censored from biographies, and that's just a classic example. And what that does is <coughs> a tremendous sense of yush. So that's what I'm saying. That uh, I believe that this generation is among the greatest generations that ever lived. Why? Because they are exposed to the greatest amount of negativity about the Yadus, Judaism, and the Bosham that ever was. And we have no idea what the skies of anybody living today. It's awesome. And that's what you have to tell people, that you have no idea what your schars, just remain afloat. Just do a mitzvah, that's all. You go to Shachas, right? Pull on your tfion. You're Kaddish Elyon. But the Boshim, what he has done is he has decreed that we cannot see our greatness that he has. Why? Because if the Nisoyin is in a climate of evil, the last thing he's going to show you is how great you are. So that's it. We cannot see but we have no idea really how great we are. And only in Yenavel do you realize the greatness of a person. And remember, because our avoider isn't really the avoider of nasty of shas. There are people that do it, they can try for it, that's great. But uh, the overwhelming majority never get there. It's not the mastery of shas really. In many ways it's not, it's not the kedusha. Of course you should strive for it, always. But the real thing is the Messias Nefesh. And that's a very important idea. So therefore, you know, I didn't say anything to the guy, but I'm, I disagree with him totally. You know, uh, that, you know, if anything, I think if, if God ever said, I'm, I'm pulling up the shade, right, or I'm pulling away the veil, right, I want to see, I want each of you guys to see who you really are, I think you'd all faint on the spot. You'd all faint. Because all of a sudden, you know, if he ever gave you what you really are, I think you, you, you'd just be astonished. So what are you saying? Oh, and anyway, that's why oh, I, I want to bring that out because I thought it was important that there's a climate of where Torah can flourish. We don't have that. There is a climate where Kedusha can flourish. We don't have that. But there's a climate that Messias Nefesh flourishes. That's our climate. And therefore, in certain ways, I don't know how much, but I wouldn't be surprised if people in today's door are greater than the Tanoim. Could you imagine you live in a block, and on your block, you know who lives there? Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Noah right? Rabbi Shimon. I mean, come on. Of course you can be a Kodesh. 
You know, your next door neighbor is Rabbi Shimba Yechoi, right? How's that going to affect you? How? It's un- unbelievable. You know? Imagine living on that kind of a block. So, yes, okay. So what was the big deal to become a Kaddish Elyayim? When your neighbor is Rabbi Shimon on one side, and on the other side it's, uh, it's, it's Rabbi Meir, <coughs> and in the attic you have Rabbi Akiva sleeping up there. I say, <laughs> like, what? So what do you think you're going to wind up? Of course you're going to wind up to be an unbelievable person. We don't have them anymore. We don't have any Rebbe's really. There's no Shemush the way they had it then. You have no idea how poor this generation is in its access to Yifrim kind. You have no idea. And that in the end is what counts. Because it's the Messiah's Nefesh uh, that will ultimately determine the reward. Whatever that is. Tvekas and Bersh and whatever and so on. And that reward is the measurement of who you really are. It's really what it is. Okay? I hope I've uh, rejuvenated everybody. We, you know, that, just uh, got you back up. Is, anyway. That's fine. Okay. So yeah, you're okay. That's a different thought. Whatever. I'm just trying to stick to a theme. Yes, actually. Actually, what you just said was really very good. I, I'm, I'm very glad you brought that up. That's what really Rabbi, uh, it was a Rabbi Yeshua Ben Levi said that, I think. Or his son. And <coughs> it's Olim Hofuchu. Because he, we, we, you know, you don't know. You think this guy's walking around, he's got this incredible, he's got a thousand Hasidim coming behind him, you know, and, uh, and so on. And he's a taka, you know, let's say, Yiddish Oiskab, and so on and so forth. You know, and then there's some schlepper, <coughs> you know, behind, you know, straggling in the back of his 10,000 Hasidim. You know what I'm saying? He may be worth more than the whole bunch. Well, we would never know. Because the Barshan has his own sense of humor. I only has a sense of humor. You know, you know he, he, he's like, you know, it's, everything he does is surprising. Including the people who are very great. And, 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 and he said that, the son of Rabbi Yeshua Levi, it's an upside down world. Whoever's great is small, and whoever's small is great. You know. The curtain in Shaita is in Kabbalah and Who? The curtain in Shaita are always in always have a message from Hashem, and that's the lowest. Okay, could look at it that way, yes. Anyway, I thought I would just dwell on that. Because I thought it was an important point to clearly delineate the difference in climates. And do not think because we live in such a low climate that we are therefore a bunch of schleppers. No. It's probably the greatest of all. What can I say? So you can all go home tonight and, and tell your wives, do you have any idea who you're speaking to? But the truth is, she'll say to you, do you have any idea who you're speaking to? Because <laughs> hey, I'm the, I'm the guy, I'm the, I'm the person behind you. And so on. Anyway. Okay. Any questions before I go on? Only emotions. Only? Emotions. Emotions. Okay. I think I've uh, said what I had to say. <clears throat> so, what the Ramchal is stressing here in Perik Dalad, actually, in Sifhei, uh, whatever, <clears throat> he's saying that the essential of Voida obviously is physical. So the idea really, therefore, is how do you get rid of the uh, zikuch? How do you dematerialize the body? How do you bring in Kedusha? So what he's, he, he says fundamentally is that 
what the Bansham did is he provided a actual physical method or mechanism that will do it which is interesting you mean a physical mechanism can actually spiritualize the body yes that's the incredible thing with the Bansham did it's that it's not a spiritual thing it's a physical it's a physical device that actually will spiritualize or make you a Kodosh what is that? that is the mitzvah every mitzvah is physical obviously and therefore the, what the Bansham did is he chose the mitzvah as the way to mezakich the guf to purify the body which is a very important idea and so on now when you look at that it's okay Bansham used the, uh, the uh, mitzvahs so what the Bansham did is interesting he creates a reality that has many different concepts many different isms so and so on you know um, there, there are many different um, ideas that he creates and he gives us a physical world and in many many of the places or the situations that we find ourselves all of a sudden we have a mitzvah in that situation so when you look at Torah really you can begin to ask yourself if we look at the totality of the Taryag and that's really what it is the 613 mitzvahs if we looked at the 613 mitzvahs <clears throat> and we try to divide it into overall super categories what would it look like and therefore it's possible to look at the entire Torah really okay divide it into its ideas its categories and you can begin to see what exactly the mitzvahs involve so I want to say this a long time ago but what I want to show here is how our interaction in the physical world in different types of <coughs> situations is the way to proceed to ruchnis spirituality okay and I think the best way to do that yeah, I did a long time ago in a different place whatever okay is to take a look at the 613 mitzvahs but not at 613 that would take us too long but the fundamental areas of shas because they remember what I once said the Tariyad mitzvahs is the basis of all our lochas the mishnayas are the details of the Tariyad are the details of the 613 mitzvahs the Gemara is the problems of the 613 mitzvahs and the Shulchan Aruch is the application of the 613 mitzvahs so you can really get a gist <coughs> of the entire Torah by looking at the Tariyad but instead of looking at the Tariyad you're better off looking at the Mishnais you see <coughs> and you can actually ask yourself let's take a look at the six Siddharam there are six orders right? the Shas what are their essential ideas? And from that, you can actually see the general thrust of mitzvahs. What situations they're supposed to be in, <coughs> and then try to examine why. Okay? So if we take a look at, let's say, Seder's Roim. Okay? Seder's Roim has Masech the Brochus, it has a lot of stuff, it has uh, Truma, and Maiseshani, Maiserishan, Ola, Bikurim, Chala, Kelayim, Shvius. There's a lot of stuff, pay and so on, right? Uh, what is the essential concept 
and what is the essential mitzvah and what is the essential situation that the entire Seder addresses? Food. Food, agriculture. What do you say? Giving away from, from Zich. Giving away from Zich. That's very interesting. <coughs> right? Giving away from Zich. Give me a Hebrew word for that. Oneness. No. Not oneness. Oh. No. No. It's called matana. If you own something, yes? You own something, right? You want to give it away for free. Let's say I walk over you. I say, you know, hey, I, I, I want... You just, you just schwitz the whole summer, the winter, whatever. You have this entire field. You have all the grain, the wheat, everything is growing there. Right? And I walk over to you, and you know, you put money into it. Time, effort, you name it. I walk over to you and say, maybe you give me 10% of it. Say, excuse me, are you crazy? Yeah, you pay me for this. So you 10%. <coughs> Forget brachas for a minute. I'm trying to build up to something. Right? So you walk over and say, look, uh, give me 10%. 10% of what? Well, let's see. There's, uh, hmm, let's see, there's payer. Let me take a lot of the corners of the different things that, whatever, going, the matonis of, of, there's the corner that you have to leave. You have to leave, then the, the weak thing, the, the uh, stalks that fell, that you have to leave that, right? It's, you know, all the five matonis of the pay uh, and so on, right? And so on. So that you have to leave, right? And then I want 10% of your stuff. The coin comes over 10%. And then it comes a levy. You know, you just got wiped out with the, with the 10% here. In comes the levy. And the levy said, excuse me, 10%, right? And then the only comes in. <coughs> and the only comes in, you know, poor man, right? Excuse me. So you've just been ripped off, right? 10%, 10%, 10%. Wow, you know, and, and you, you can't believe what's going on here. <laughs> That's very interesting, you know. <clears throat> Well, you know what the IRS stands for? Internal Revenue Service? No. Internal Robbery Service. <laughs> right? Because well, that's what you would think. That's basically what it is. They have your hand in their pocket, and they're not taking it out. Forget about it, you know? That's why this government is what it is, right? That's why it spins the way it does. And so on, you know? But uh, this is incredible. So what the motion commanded in many different ways is the whole concept of matonus. So you have to have frusha. <coughs> Separate from your fruits, vegetables, grain, challah, everything, you know? Ola, bikurim. It's like, and you, and you have a bunch of behemoths, you know? You have this huge cattle, you know? And then you got to give away, what? One out of every ten. You know what an animal's worth? You know, imagine you have to give away a cow, a bull, ten of them. You know, you had a hundred newborns. I gave away ten of them. That's a, that's, that's a fortune of money. So therefore, the essence of what? Of Zeroim is to do what? Is to give away that which you own, that which you struggled. Correct? And that which is worth a lot of money. Right? What's the outcome of that? Because that will permit usage of the rest. 
If you give away truma, fine. You could use the rest, the 90%. Uh, you don't give away truma, you can't use any of it. <coughs> so the reason why you have a matana is to be able to use the rest, right? But why would the Russian want to do that? Why does he want you to give up something which you consider so valuable, right? Uh, and uh, <coughs> put so much time and effort, right? And the answer is, because he wants you to understand and acknowledge that you don't own anything, it's all God's. And therefore God is the owner. And therefore if I want you to give away them, I, you can't even use your stuff. God owns it. You cannot use your stuff unless you acknowledge that I own it. What's the best way to acknowledge that God owns it? You got to give away what you would never do. You got to give away what the Bansham says. So therefore, what it is, in many ways, <clears throat> it's you need to own the stuff and you need to acknowledge that the Bansham owns the stuff. And therefore, you need to do a hafrasha, which is a separation, and then you have to do it for free. That's a matana. And therefore, you acknowledge that the Bansham he owns, you own nothing. Okay? So therefore, he created the concept of ownership. He created the concept of farms, agriculture, food. Also, you could acknowledge and demonstrate your belief that even though all these things look like yours, it's only the Roshan. So the essence of Zroim is what? Is to permit the usage of what you own only after you've given away some of it. And that therefore is a tremendous lesson in terms of who really owns what you just did. <coughs> that's, that's the whole Zeroim. Not only that, so Zeroim is all about what? Object usage. Permissibility. Those are the three key words. Object, your fields, for usage, permissibility, if you give away part of what you own. You see? And they have to give it away for free. So the key concepts in the whole Zeroim is object usage permissibility if you give it as a matana. And that's the tzivoy. Therefore, that's, that is a, uh, a counter concept to the concept of ownership. You see? Now why is brachas there? You don't give away anything. Because what does brachas do? Same thing. Yeah. You have food. You finally have food. You gave away 10% of the coin, 10% of the lady, 10% of the oni, and you're about to declare bankruptcy. <laughs> and you scream out and say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, I got a piece of bread, let me eat something, right? And also the Bible says, excuse me, you can't eat this bread. You cannot use it. Yet, you have to acknowledge the source of the existence of this bread, and then that bread will become use, uh, permissible. So, brachas is also about object usage permissibility. Except that the device isn't the matana, the device is a verbal acknowledgement <coughs> of the source of that you're, which you're about to use, then I could use it. Same thing. They both are devices that permit the usage of objects. Except one is a hafrasha, a matana, where you separate and you give it as a gift. And the other is a verbal acknowledgement of the source of the existence. Who gave you this bread? Right? And then you're allowed to use it. That's why brachas is right. The exact same device. Because they both permit 
the object to be used. It's one, it's one is a physical act called hafrasha, as a matana, and the other is a verbal recognition or acknowledgement that God is the source of this. Boya priya eats, that the Bosham created the pre of the eights, and now you can eat the eights. <coughs> you see. So you and, and so therefore really they're the same concept. That's why Brochus, by the way, is in Zrain. But we now see what Zrain really is. It's really about it's an interference with the ownership. Because it tells you you don't own it. And the best way the Bosham makes you acknowledge that is you gotta give it away for free. <coughs> 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 and therefore the Rebbeim created the concept of ownership and the concept of other things and so on. And that's what he wants to acknowledge. That the relationship between you and the object that you own is really he owns it. Okay? Great. So we did drawing. Uh, I'd like to do the rest uh, of uh, the rest of the mitzvahs using this approach uh, next week. So, okay? And then we'll finish that. And then you'll have a, a concept of, you can actually look at the whole Shas in six ideas. It's interesting. And I'm not talking about one Masechta. Then if you find, if you look in the Masechtas of that Seder, you'll find that each one is nothing more than a section of that concept. It's like a wheel. You have the hub and spokes. What I'm telling you is the hub, the spokes, are with the individual Masechtas. And now you know what Trum is. <coughs> Trum is a specific Matana. So is Maisa Shani, so is Maisa Rishon, so is Chala, Ola, Bikurim. And not only that, the Bansham not only tells you, you want to use this, you've got to give it away, I'm going to tell you what you can't even use. So, which is what? Kalayim. You cannot use Kalayim. You see what I'm saying? Right? There are things you cannot do. Or Ola, you cannot use Ola. So, Seder's Rome is all about what? Object usage permissibility and object usage prohibition <coughs> or forbiddance, right? Which is uh, so therefore the Bonshim is clearly asserting to you, I own everything, and I can tell you what you can what you can use, what you can't use, and not only that, even what you can use when you could use it when you made a bracha. That's why he created the concept called ownership. You see. Okay, fine. But you understand that? So what we've just done is covered the entire Seder. And you'll notice every Masechta is nothing more than a subdivision of that concept. It's either object usage permissibility or object usage prohibition. It's one or the other. But in the end, God is telling you what you can do with your property. That's a real interference in ownership. Okay? And we'll do the other five. So you'll actually, it's a great uh, way of looking at the entire Shas. And you be, uh, all you have to do is then look at the Indian and you see how they all line up exactly on that concept. And then you realize that, that the entire void is really basically just six ideas. That's really all it is in the Tariyak. It's very useful to, the, to hear this type of thing. You know? Imagine learning the whole Shas. Make a Seema Shas. Yeah, who's bringing in the pizza? We'll make a Siyama Shas, you know. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> because very few people could look at Shas this way. <clears throat> you can actually look at the totality of Shas and six ideas. All of it. And then you go through each Masechta and you <coughs> immediately, I will do that anyway, I'll just we'll run through the Masechtas. You can see exactly how each one is a, is a spoke from a hub. That's all that is.
And that's what the Ramchal is referring to, we, we, that, the, that the mitzvahs is the way to have the zikuch, purification of the body. And you have to understand what each mitzvah really does. It's a physical mitzvah that requires physical, uh, what he called, interactions. Okay. Any questions? We're going to do that too. To what? This last thing. What mitzvahs, how mitzvahs exactly purifying yeah, well, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll include that because I, yeah, I think I won't say it, but I'll say it again. Yeah, how they purify. Yeah, yeah. If I forget, remind me. Well, how all this totality does it? Right now, we're seeing what are the mitzvahs and what he has to create in order for the mitzvahs to be operative. But then, how does it do it, and so on? You know. Uh, next week will be the I'm leaving, so it'll be the uh, the end shear for this man. Who? I wish I wish <coughs> but um, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great shear it's a powerful shear to see 63 mesectus and how they all emanate from 6 ideas any other ideas? any other questions? ok where is everybody? Oh well, what can you say? For this year and next week, because it'll help you enormously to know the whole shas, everything. You'll actually understand the structure of the totality of the Taya Mitzvahs. Not bad. It's great. And then it's it? Yeah.